Chapter 16 of Curly Carson Listens In by Roy J. Snell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter 16 A Confession. For an hour, Curly Carson had been seated in the radiophone cabin of the Kittlewake. During that time, he delicately adjusted amplifier, and his wonderful ears had enabled him to pick up many weird and unusual messages. Listening in at sea before a great storm is like wandering on the beach after the same storm. You never can tell what you may pick up. But though fragments of many messages had come to him, not one of any importance to the Kittlewake had reached his ears. If, during that time, any message from the stormy petrel had been sent out, it had been lost in the crash and snap of static, which now kept up a constant din in his ears. Again, doubt assailed him. He had no positive knowledge that the boys in the plane had gone in search of that mysterious island of the old chart. They might, for all he knew, be at this moment enjoying a rich feast on some island off the coast of America. Cuba, for instance, he told himself. Not at all impossible. Short trip for such a seaplane. And here, he grumbled angrily to himself, here I am, risking my own life and the life of my companions and crew, inviting death to all of these, and this on a mere conjecture. Guess I'm a fool. The gale was rising every moment. Even as he spoke, the prow of the boat reared in air to come down with such an impact as made one believe she had stepped on something solid. Just when Curly's patience with himself and all the rest of the world was exhausted, Joe Marion opened the door. The wind, boosting him across the threshold, slammed the door after him. Whew! he sputtered. Going to be rotten. Tell you what, I don't like it. Dangerous, I'd say. Nothing's dangerous, smiled Curly, greatly pleased to see that someone at least was more disturbed than himself. Nothing's really dangerous since the invention of the radiophone. Ocean, desert, Arctic wilderness, it's all the same. Sick, lost, shipwrecked. All you've got to do is keep your head clear and your radio phone dry and tuned up. It'll find you a way out. Yes, but, hesitated Joe, how the deuce are you going to pack a radio phone outfit, all those coils, batteries, and boxes, when you're shipwrecked? How are you going to keep them dry, with the rain pelting you from above and the salt water beating at you from below? A lot of sense to that. Huh, he grunted contemptuously. That for your radio phone, he snapped his finger. And that for your old sloppy ocean. Give me a square yard of good old terra firma, and I'll get along without all your modern inventions. It, it can be done, though, said Curly thoughtfully. What can? Radiophone kept dry after a wreck at sea. How? Curly did not answer the question. Instead, he snapped the receiver from his head and handed it to Joe. Take this and listen in. He rose stiffly. This business is getting on my nerves. I've got to get out for a breath of splendid, fresh sea breeze. Nerves, said Joe incredulously. You got nerves? Sometimes. Just now I have. On the deck, Curly experienced difficulty in walking. As he worked his way forward, 
he found that one moment his legs were far too long and his foot came down with a suddenness that set his teeth chattering the next moment his legs had grown suddenly short it was like stepping downstairs in the dark and taking two steps at a time when you expected to take but one never saw such a rumpus on the sea he grumbled going to be worse he told himself as a chain of lightning leaping across the sky illumined the bank of black clouds that lay before them going to be lots worse poking his head into the wheelhouse he bellowed above the storm how's she go seen worse her the skipper shouted back ought to be at that spot we started for in half an hour that island on the old chart never was no island the skipper roared maybe not supposing we get there what then don't know yet the skipper stared at curly for a full moment as if attempting to determine whether he were insane then turned in silence to his wheel the wind blew the door shut and curly resumed his long-legged short-legged march he had done three turns around the deck when his eyes caught a small figure crumpled up on the pile of ropes forward hello he cried you out here gladys did not answer at once she was straining her eyes as if to see some object which might be hovering above the jagged sea-swept skyline no said curly as if in answer to a question you couldn't see the plane you couldn't see it fifty fathoms away and then it would flash by you like a carrier pigeon no use if you did see it couldn't do anything but there's one chance in a million of their coming into our line of vision so it's no use watching only chance is a radiophone message giving their location but i i want to i i ought to do something for the first time he noticed how white and drawn her face was all right he said in a quiet voice you just sit where you are and i'll sit here beside you and you tell me one or two things that will help tell tell what tell me this did your brother have the original of that old map yes her tone was already quieting down yes he did or alfred brightwood did his father is very rich and he has a hobby of collecting very old editions of books he pays terrible prices for them he bought an old old copy of marco polo's travels paid fifteen thousand dollars for it and inside its cover alfred found that old map with the curious writing on the back of it he thought right away that it might hide some great secret so he had it photographed and sent the photo to vincent vincent got a great scholar to read the writing for him he never told me what the writing was said that no one but he and alfred should know that it was a great secret and that girls couldn't keep secrets so i was not to know but they can keep secrets she exploded breaking off from her narrative they do keep secrets more secrets than boys do wonderful and terrible secrets sometimes all right smiled curly i agree with you absolutely but what did they do then well the girl pressed her temples as if to drive the thoughts of the present from her they why then alfred called vincent by radiophone on six hundred vincent was terribly afraid to answer on six hundred but he did 
and then, because he thought the discovery of the map was so awfully important, he rigged up a radiophone on his auto, and I... I... She buried her face in her hands. I helped him. I was with him in the car. Drove while he sent the messages. All but that last night, when the car was wrecked. I... I know I shouldn't have done it. I knew all the time it was wrong. But Alfred was stubborn, and wouldn't talk on anything but six hundred. Said he had as much right on six hundred as anyone else. So we did it. And then the car was wrecked? suggested Curly. He felt a trifle mean about making the girl tell. But he knew she would be more uncomfortable once she got it out of her system. People are that way. Yes, she said. Someone shot his tire and wrecked his machine. I found the car first thing in the morning, and when I saw Vincent wasn't there, I got two big packing baskets that we once used in the Rockies and put them on my horse. Then I went back and got all that radio stuff and took it home and hid it. Do you think I did wrong? The eyes she turned to his were appealing ones. Maybe you did, said Curly huskily. But that doesn't matter now. You're paying for it, all right. Going to pay for it in full before this voyage is over. The thing you must try to think of now is the present. The little round present that is right here now. And you must try to be brave. And, and, she said in a faltering voice, do you think Vincent is paying for what he did? I shouldn't be surprised. Then you won't have to arrest him if he's already punished? The appealing eyes were again upon him. At that moment, Curly did a strange thing, so strange that the words sounded preposterous to his own ears. No, he said slowly, I won't, unless, unless he asks me to. Oh, she breathed. Thank you. She placed her icy cold hand on his for a second. You're freezing, he exclaimed suddenly. You'll be making yourself sick. You must get inside. I'll go to the lounging cabin, in mid-deck. The foxhole is so... so lonesome, she stammered. If you need me, you'll find me there. Feeling her way along the rail, she disappeared into the darkness. At almost the same moment, there came the bellowing sound of a voice that could be heard above the roar of the storm. Curly! Curly! Come here! Something's coming in. Can't make it out. It was Joe Marion. Stumbling aft, now banging his feet down hard and now treading on empty air, Curly made his way to the radiophone cabin. End of chapter 16